0: From advisory board, we're bringing you a radio advisory. My name is Rachel Woods. You can call me Ray. We're coming to you today with a special request. Take the next few minutes and just take a step back. COVID-19 has brought on an unprecedented set of challenges to leaders across the healthcare industry. But I want you to ask yourself, have you been leading the way you want to through this time? So to answer that question, I've brought a special guest with me today, my colleague, Craig Pierner. Craig, tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do at Advisory Board.
1: Thanks, Ray. It's really great to be with you today. Uh, I love leadership. Uh, and what that means is that I spend my time thinking about it. I'm the managing director of our talent development division. We deliver and design leadership development programs for hospitals and healthcare systems.
0: The social distancing must be especially hard for somebody like you who is traveling around the country and around the world. What are you doing to to deal in this time?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. It's definitely odd. I have to tell you, I'm thinking about holding a leadership workshop in my apartment, kind of like when kids used to stage plays with their stuffed animals.
0: (laughs) Who's going to be the faux audience in your apartment instead of stuffed animals?
1: Maybe some empty wine bottles, given how things are going.
0: (laughs) Of course, empty.
1: (laughs) That's right. You know, it's definitely odd as a frequent traveler for business and a person who likes to be on airplanes out visiting advisory board clients to be grounded. But it is the safe thing to do. And I'm really thankful to be safe working from home and healthy.
0: I'm happy that we can get your perspective here today because I think it's a really unique perspective given your time and attention to working with leadership teams and working with executives in particular. So how are they feeling right now?
1: Stressed. (laughs) A couple of things stand out. The first is that COVID-19 isn't your average crisis. Healthcare institutions are well rehearsed for things like natural disasters, but leaders have told me that this feels different primarily because of the length of the crisis. And then these are highly emotional times for leaders and staff members. And I think the things that trigger those emotional responses don't go away in the first few days like they might with another crisis. For instance, staff may continually fear for their own safety or that of their family, or as they face new grief, as school districts, for instance, make decisions to not return for the entire year they have to cope with that grief on an ongoing basis
0: i know that part of your role and and what you do with talent development is help leaders tap into those emotions so so what emotions are are you hearing folks feeling
1: you know obviously this is such an uncertain time and i think you and i feel that personally and the same is true for healthcare leaders Um, With guidance from public health officials, from government, and even from health systems' own leaders constantly evolving, I think a lot of leaders feel really frustrated that they can't offer clear, timely answers to their teams right now about what's coming. So there's this kind of hurry up and wait nature that's difficult for leaders who want to be there and provide answers for their team. And then there's some real conflicting emotions that I'm hearing. So, for instance, every leader with whom I've spoken is so immensely proud of their staff of frontline responders right now and the heroism that those people are displaying as they go into work every day. But some leaders simultaneously feel inadequate and wonder how their actions stack up to that kind of heroism on the front lines of healthcare. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I'll admit I'm, I'm hearing a similar thing when I speak to executives. And a lot of folks are are bracing for an impact and not sure how big that impact is going to be. And, you know, imperfect data isn't exactly helping in this situation. So how do you suggest that leaders go about dealing with these feelings?
1: I think the key is to label our emotions. Before we label our emotions, we are the emotion. Hmm but labeling it forces the logical part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, to engage versus the emotional brain, specifically the amygdala. Labeling the emotion you're feeling turns your reaction into data, and then your logical brain can process what the emotion tells you about this moment and how you might respond rather than just react. And I think the leaders who are most practiced with this avoid being hijacked by emotions. Hmm. Importantly, it isn't that these leaders don't feel these things. It's that they notice before the feelings erupt into some kind of outsized or unproductive reaction.
0: I like that term you just used, being hijacked by emotions. And I've got to admit here, whenever I talk to you, I feel like you're giving me advice for how I manage my own personal relationships. Uh, Can you give me some examples, maybe outside of what me and my husband might be thinking? Can you give me some examples of what executives might be facing as some of these hijacked emotional reactions?
1: Well, happy to help you out with what you're feeling at any time. (laughs) (laughs) But speaking about executives, you know, I've noticed that when emotions rule, uh, leaders may tend to navigate to extremes. And those extremes can take three different forms. First, fleeing or running away from the crisis. That's things like hiding in your office or deferring decision-making authority. The second is freezing refusing to make decisions in the absence of perfect information, or even worse, pretending everything's normal and this too shall pass. And then the third is fighting or acting recklessly, rushing to action without thinking through your approach. So let's
0: say you are talking with an executive and you realize, whether it's in the moment or perhaps in a prior conversation, that that executive was having an unproductive response how do you actually help them avoid going to one of these extremes?
1: Well, Ray, has already stated, I think step one is to try to label the emotion that is at work. And then once you've done that, uh, there are three questions that can be really powerful to avoiding extreme responses.
0: Hmm. What's the first question?
1: Why am I here? Yeah, I'm reminded of that, Admiral, in the 1992 presidential debate. Who am I? Why am I here? (laughs) But it's actually a really powerful question. And it's powerful because the answer may not be that you're there to provide all of the answers or to give perfect information or to lead in that I'm out front making the decisions kind of sense. Rather, it might be that you are there to provide emotional support to your team. Hmm. You're there to serve as some kind of an anchor. You are there to be a sounding board for decisions. Uh, Whatever the answer is, knowing the answer to that why am I here question uh, will help you stop the urge to flee from the situation. Hmm. Um, It anchors you. You have a purpose for being there.
0: And, and that's that's exactly the word that came to my mind is purpose. And purpose isn't I'm a leader, which is, of course, this this huge concept and sort of your job title. But purpose is actually something that is far, far more specific and perhaps might be linked to that individual moment in time.
1: That's right. It's informed by overall purpose. But when you ask that question in a particular situation, particularly a stressful one, You're going to translate that purpose to that specific leadership moment.
0: Hmm.
1: And I think that really sets up the next question, um, which is, all right, I've identified my purpose for being here. Now, question two, what am I doing? And that's an important question because what it does is it gives you the chance to evaluate the choice of doing nothing. Hmm doing nothing can be a legitimate decision, but you want it to be a deliberate choice. And so if you ask yourself, what am I doing? Um, Then you can decide nothing or you can decide a strategic course of action. But in either case, you've not been reflexively responding to the situation. You've been thoughtfully considering your course of action.
0: Hmm. So you've got your purpose. And you've also got your kind of plan of action. You know, why am I here? What am I doing? What's the final question?
1: why am I doing it? And that helps you avoid being reckless because when you force yourself to think through why am I taking a particular course of action and what it means for my team and the people I serve, uh, it's likely that you're going to be a lot more committed to that course of action. And by the way, it has the side benefit of your team likely being more committed to that course of action as well. Because you've likely engaged them in the question of why that's the best thing to do at this moment in time and or you've prepared yourself to answer some of the sensitivities that may come with the course of action you've selected.
0: So I've got to admit, you you didn't name a question that I think is actually on a lot of executives' minds, which is, what should I actually be doing right now? Why isn't that one of those those three questions?
1: Because the what should I be doing question suggests that there is a right course of action, that there's a playbook to follow. If only I can access the playbook. And this brings us back to that tremendous uncertainty that's pervasive right now. In an uncertain environment, there probably isn't a playbook. There probably isn't one right course of action. So the question, what am I doing, as opposed to what should I be doing, releases the pressure valve a little bit. Hmm. And I find that it gives leaders the permission to simply work out what is the best thing to do at that time and then go with that uh, rather than kind of feeling a sense of lingering guilt that they didn't do the right thing. Hmm.
0: We'll be right back with more radio advisory after this short break. If you want us to cover a topic or have feedback about this podcast, you can leave that right in our iTunes page or email us at, at com. That's podcasts with an S. I'm a big believer in humanizing the role of the executive and it not just being the practical steps you need to take day to day as an administrator. It helps, I think, to remember that leaders are humans with human instincts and that, frankly, everyone is struggling
1: right now. Exactly, Ray. Leaders are humans too. (laughs) And leaders are, as humans, concerned about their own health, uh, the health of their friends and family. And just like everybody else right now, they haven't been able to eat out, see a movie, or go to a concert for weeks. And I also think the questions remind leaders that they are dealing with humans. You know, that first question, why am I here, allows you to see that you're there not only to make decisions, to be an administrator, as as you just suggested, Ray, and navigate the crisis, but to do so in an emotionally intelligent way.
0: Hmm. And I have to admit, this is all really good advice. But it's probably a lot more difficult to do in practice, especially in the middle of a crisis, especially when you're so focused on putting out the fire directly in front of you. So what kind of practical advice can you offer?
1: Well, Ray, your question gets to why leading in a crisis is so difficult. Leadership is difficult in any circumstance, and translating best practice and leadership to the real world environment is never easy. Uh, In a crisis, I think my best advice is to try to check in with yourself frequently. Even if it's just 60 seconds between meetings or a break while you get a cup of coffee or a drink of water, you have some time to close your eyes, take a beat, and check in. Ask those questions. I think the other critical thing uh, is i encourage leaders to remember that they need the support of other people hmm. that it's not just they need to provide support they need support too uh, have someone else with whom you can share your frustrations seek counsel on the difficult decisions that you have to be making right now and find friendship and support so think about who can i turn to whether it's colleagues or friends or family members for support and counsel I've even heard some systems have set up a buddy system for leaders so they have a direct person uh, that they can lean on right now. And and the great thing is that trusted people in your life will let you do that. Uh, They will let you process an emotional moment, a difficult decision, or just event. And then once you've had that release, you can pivot back to your purpose so you can be present in addressing your organization's pressing challenges during this time.
0: Yeah, I have personally found that venting to a colleague, frankly, to you, uh-huh. to my husband can be particularly helpful in getting through the day. And I think that's especially true during social distancing when my husband is the only other human being that I'm interacting with, at least in any in-person way.
1: Yeah. Well, Ray, you can always vent to me. And it sounds <laughs> like you, you found the right guy for you. <laughs> I can relate. I've spent more time with my partner as a frequent business traveler over... Uh, this past month than I ever have before, uh, and (laughs) it's going well. Uh, This is a time to be grateful for your loved ones. Uh, You know, in all seriousness, uh, as I think about your husband, I'm I'm sure he appreciates actually getting to help you be a good leader right now, Mm -hmm. uh, just as I really appreciate when you lean on me for advice and, and vice versa. And that speaks to something important here, which is that leadership and leaders matter right now. In times of uncertainty, people turn to their leaders for advice and guidance. And so what those leaders say, and as important how they say it, is vital.
0: I think that's a really important point. I think that all of us have encountered a moment when you've got a leader who says all the right things, but maybe doesn't have the right tone. The message itself isn't actually all that believable. Tell me how you can combat that.
1: We have all met that leader, Uh, and it's been said frequently over the past few weeks that the CEO must stand for the chief empathy officer in a moment like this, Hmm. and I think that speaks to your question. Um, With every communication, whether it be big or small, leaders should ask the question, am I leaving this person, uh, this team, members of this organization feeling genuinely valued and cared for? And that is as much about tone as as content. Similarly, when you make tough choices about your COVID response strategy, I encourage leaders to notice if there is a provider or staff member who's going to be disproportionately impacted by that decision, because it's likely that those individuals will have outsized reactions and they may need some additional care and attention. A question that's really powerful for any team member at any time, but especially this time, is you are important to me and what we're trying to accomplish around here. How are you feeling right now?
0: Yeah, I I love that. It's so crucial. It gets back to what we were talking about in humanizing the leadership role. I was actually speaking to a group of, of CMOs last week who rightfully pointed out to me that there are some providers who are eager and willing to rush to the front lines but there are others that are justifiably scared for themselves, for their families, and asking to stay home.
1: Yeah, it's a moment to really empathize uh, with what it takes for healthcare providers to get up and go to work every day. And a, a colleague of mine told me about a conversation he had uh, with a healthcare executive who said, This is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. Hmm. How do I keep my workforce feeling cared for? COVID-free and engaged for the next several weeks or months as the situation deteriorates, as more people are infected and hospitalized, as PPE and care capacity are overwhelmed, as the economy deteriorates and people's spouses or loved ones are starting to lose their jobs. I mean, that's a long list. Mm -hmm. Uh, What a massive task. But I think keeping the people and their needs front and center must be the most important thing it's incredibly grounding as a leader when you can do that
0: and it's important to remember that leaders are also supporting a significant number of people all of their physicians all of their nurses all of their staff that are having those those reactions and dealing with covid day to day how do you actually support huge numbers of staff who are looking for personalized support when you have limited time
1: You know, about a week ago, I had the chance to speak with Lisa Brock, who's the Chief Human Resources Officer and the Chief Compliance Officer, and Lisa Morton, the Director of Human Resources at Overlake Medical Center and Clinics in Bellevue, Washington, which is close to the long term care facility where one of the first COVID outbreaks in the US occurred. Hmm. And over a month into having positive patients at their hospital, they each spoke about how not everyone is experiencing this crisis in the same way. And I think that's going to be true nationally. Some staff, for example, critical care are overworked, mm-hmm. while other staff may go weeks at a time with low volumes and not performing the cases for which they're trained and passionate about. Uh, some staff are really taxed, as we've discussed, by the need to come to work right now. Others may wish that they could be on the front lines. hmm And while all of these experiences are stressful with the common theme of disrupted routines, what Overlake has found and what I think is going to be true everywhere is that a one-size-fits-all kind of solution quickly expires. Hmm. And so that creates, as your question gets to, the need for some personalization. So for instance, associates and leaders who are already disengaged or struggling are likely to remain disengaged and struggling during this. I don't think that there's anything magic that's going to make them rise to the occasion. And so those leaders and staff members will probably need some extra support. And I think what that means is, as a leader, that while daily organization-wide updates are essential, what individual leaders need to do is honor the imbalance, the variation in how the workforce is experiencing this crisis, with department-specific and even person-specific communication in partnership with managers, particularly around sensitive issues like staffing.
0: I think that's right. And then, of course, make sure you're doing whatever you can to actually help those who you know need the most support right now.
1: Yeah, that's the right spirit, whatever I can do. And I think this is a time where uh, people are being graceful about whatever I can do being the prevailing theme. On that note, there is one really interesting caveat that my conversations with leaders have revealed. So there may be wide interest right now among non-critical care staff and, and even community volunteers to help text units. And I think that interest is really noble. But what some leaders who have been at COVID for a month or more are telling me is that too many people or inadequately trained people can quickly tax resources and distract decision makers. So there's probably some caution to be exercised around that noble intent.
0: So I want to ask you specifically about senior leadership right now. So think about the executive that has system-wide responsibilities. What's your advice there?
1: If I were a system executive right now, Ray, I would be focused on empowering department leaders with the knowledge that their own leadership matters tremendously right now. And I think that's important because in an environment where we're waiting for big messages from government and public health officials, there's going to be a higher temptation than ever to defer leadership upward because decisions are being deferred upwardly. So as a senior executive, it's really important to consistently issue that invitation to lead. And if I'm a line leader, um, I would want to know that I can't assume that organizational messages are enough right now, especially when it comes to expressing care and concern for the well-being of associates. Line leaders are going to know best uh, what their staff is going through. So senior leaders should turn to them wherever they can to carry that message across the line, especially the message about care and concern.
0: Okay, so that makes a lot of sense. And I think what that means is that it can actually open up system-wide leaders to focus their energy then on system-wide responsibilities.
1: Yeah, very much so. And that's really important because I think one of the biggest traps that many system-wide leaders may fall into right now is focusing so much on what's right in front of them that they forget to plan for the future. Now, that's understandable because things are hectic and overwhelming right now. But senior leaders cannot forget to pull up their heads and start thinking about what their system might need a few months down the road. Hmm. You're gonna have to ramp up a whole different type of capacity in the hospital to compete for things like elective surgery volumes, which the organization will need to stay as financially stable as possible. And of course, it's also possible that you then might have to re-ramp up the COVID response again if we have another outbreak in the fall. None of that will be easy. So it's really important to try to win whatever time we can right now to start planning so we're not caught flat-footed when this first wave is over.
0: Well, Craig, I feel like I could talk to you about this forever. Thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. I think both of us know that one other very important piece of leadership is that time matters, and every single minute counts. You and I are facing that, and, and certainly leaders in healthcare are facing that. So I want to be respectful of your time, but I want to ask one final question. What is the one thing you would tell executives to do this week?
1: Well, Ray, I always love talking with you about leadership. Happy to do it anytime. And thanks for having me on the program. And by the way, you're invited to that leadership workshop I'm hosting in my apartment. I think you'll be a more engaging audience member than those empty wine bottles.
0: You'll need some full Um, wine bottles, too, if we're going to do that (laughs) Craig.
1: Okay, deal. Uh, In response to your question, you know, in stressful times, I think it's really helpful to focus on gratitude. So I'd advise every executive to try to write five gratitude notes or emails this week. It might be to a staff member for their heroism, maybe to a faith leader for their prayers, to a community partner for their support, or to a family member for their compassion. I try to do that in my own leadership practice. And I found that if I take five to 10 minutes to say thank you to someone at some point during the day, I'm a better leader for it.
0: So Craig, thanks so much for joining us. Where can listeners who are equally interested in leadership or perhaps thinking about how to be a better leader themselves, how can they connect with you? How can they connect with advisory board in this way?
1: Great question, Ray. Uh, We're happy to support any leader in healthcare at this time. So if folks have a question about leadership, I invite them to get in contact with me, and we'll find a team member that can help them. Uh, Specifically, there's a couple of things we're doing to support our members at this time. One is we're offering a one-to-one 20-minute leadership consultations. They just offer an opportunity for someone to seek a quick external perspective on something, or to debrief a difficult situation or or unpack a hard decision. And then the other thing is that in the month of May, we'll be sponsoring some leadership-specific web conferences about the skills that are most critical during this time.
0: Hmm. So we'll definitely add those web conference links as they come up, but do I have maybe your go-ahead to put your email address in the show notes?
1: Sounds good.
0: Well, Craig, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast, and we look forward to having you back on Radio Advisory. Thanks, Ray. So I actually really liked Craig's answer, and I'm going to shamelessly steal from something he said a little bit earlier in the podcast. Remember that dealing with COVID-19 is not a sprint. It's a marathon. We're not going to wake up someday and just realize that the pandemic is behind us, right? It's not going to be a single surge. At least that's not what the data is telling us. In fact, there's likely to be different kinds of surges. Right now, folks are dealing with ramping up their capacity for dealing with COVID cases, but it'll likely be followed by a second wave where, as Christopher Kern said, hospitals are going to try to see as many elective surgical volumes as possible. So it's important as a leader to keep your eyes set on the future. Keep supporting your staff now, next week, in the next few months. And as always, we're here to help.